0: And welcome to the first episode of Darren Rants about and today I'm gonna to be talking about the last dance episodes one and two. Uh, the new Michael Jordan documentary that's come out. Uh, it's been incredible to watch so far. obviously this is coming out a, c- a couple of weeks after the first episode of aired but you know I wasn't sure if anyone was really interested in hearing my opinions on the documentary. Uh, <laughs> stoked to hear that we had some people that were interested. so yeah this is gonna be I'm just gonna break down uh, the episodes as to what I thought was interesting. Uh, kind of go over a bit of the summary of the episodes and then kind of talk about some things that I thought were kind of cool. And uh, yeah, so uh, the first episode starts off, of course, it's kind of breaking down context. So it starts off with wh- why we're here, wh- why the documentary is being done. And so it starts off with, you know, introducing who Michael Jordan is, introducing who Scottie Pippen is, who Dennis Rodman is, who Jerry Krause, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, and of course, Phil Jackson, they're kind of the main characters of the entire story. Um, and it starts off with, you know, again, why we're here. And the biggest thing is the reason why we're here, why this documentary is even done in the first place is because it's been confirmed to this point in history that this is the last dance, uh, that Jerry Krause, Jerry Krause has informed, uh, the, the Bulls, uh, I guess the B- Bulls team, the, the rest of the management, that this is going to be Phil Jackson's last year's head coach. Um, so Michael Jordan has said, you know, what's what's the deal here? And he feels that you know, as long as they're still winning, that they've won five championships over the last seven years, you know, what's the deal? I'm not playing for another head coach. I'm only playing for Phil Jackson. Uh, if Phil Jackson's not the coach, then I'm not going to play any longer. Um, and so. Again, if this is Phil Jackson's last year as head coach, this must mean that it's also Michael Jordan's last year playing off the Bulls. He may play somewhere else wherever, the, wherever Phil Jackson goes as coach. Maybe Phil Jackson retires. Who knows? But regardless, this is the last dance, the last chance for uh, the Bulls to you know win another championship and possibly uh, three-peat for the second time. Uh, so that's kind of why we're here. Uh, and so it starts off with some really cool things. Um, I thought it was really interesting because one of the things – no, one of the quotes – was uh, MJ was talking about uh, that he felt that they had the chance or they had the right to defend what they had done. Uh, He said that they've done it five times. They were still winning. And Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause thought, well, this is going to be tricky because we've got Michael Jordan, who is obviously still the best player in the world, but Scottie Pippen or or Dennis Rodman, uh, Bill Winnington, these players may have reached the end of their productive years. So maybe time for a rebuild. And then MJ responds in an interview and he says, well, the Cubs have been rebuilding for 43 years. <laughs> and if you don't know what he's talking about, the Chicago Cubs um, for a long time have been, uh, well, I guess uh, until recently um, at, up to that point had been essentially irrelevant in the MLB. Um, they were really good back in the day, had a long dry spell of being irrelevant um, throughout their entire history for the most part. And, and so of course then more recently they won the world series. But his point is, is that, you know, you, you start just making a decision to rebuild and you don't know it, what's going to happen. You don't know if the rebuild's going to be succe- successful. But like right now, you know, like if you're Jerry Krause or Jerry Reinsdorf, you know that a rebuild takes away the best players in the world at the time. You know, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, probably one and two at the time in the world. And but you don't know what it means if you get rid of Scottie Pippen, if you get rid of Bill Wennington, if you get rid of Steve Kerr. You know, these been great players in the league at the time. You don't know what you're getting back. You don't know how long it's going to be until you get back to uh, reality, and you know, or not back to reality, but back to greatness. And so they're making the decision that you know we should go ahead and rebuild. And, and Michael Jordan's thinking, well, who long, who how, how do you know how long it's going to be? Um, and it's interesting. I, I thought another quote was pretty interesting at this point in time was uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan was frustrated. He says. I would not let someone who's not putting on a uniform dictate what's happening on a basketball court. And this is (laughs) one of the quotes that just like kind of encompasses to me what Michael Jordan, uh, I think he's an incredibly smart basketball player. Uh, And at least at this point in time, of his career, it seems like he's not really the smartest, uh, like just player. Like, I mean, because it's just like, what do you mean you would, you wouldn't let someone who's not putting on a uniform playing every night just, just dictates what happened on the basketball court. Like, do you want Dennis Rodman uh dictating who who gets who goes where like you know who's on the floor in what positions like that's not very smart like dennis rodman is like a great you know hard physical basketball player but he's probably not the best person controlling the x's and x's and o's right and so i think that was kind of silly uh i think that you know it's uh from a player's perspective they could probably agree with that you know hey we want we think we know what's best it's going to happen on the floor but you also have to understand that these guys do analytics, like you know, the coaches, the GMs, like the scouts. Like they understand a lot of things that the players maybe don't understand, you know, in terms of what what to expect from a player, what they're going to be in the future, that kind of thing. And also just like a coach like Phil Jackson, too. Essentially, what Michael Jordan is saying is that a coach like Phil Jackson should, shouldn't impact what happens on the floor. And that's really silly because, I mean, Phil Jackson is obviously one of the best coaches of all time. Um so anyways I thought that was kind of silly for Michael Jordan to say that. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Um so and uh yeah there's uh we kind of move forward a little bit. Um we get to the point where Jerry Krause makes the quote that says that players and coaches don't win championships alone, but organizations do. And I thought this was pretty interesting uh because obviously this was kind of what set off the negativity between Michael Jordan and Jerry Krause, you know, for the rest of their history. This was kind of the thing that really, really started uh, putting a, a, I guess, a, a wedge in between their relationship. Was he's him saying that players and coaches don't win in championships alone, but organizations do, and actually, in this case, I actually tend to side with Jerry Krause. Uh, I'm not saying that I was, of course, players and coaches have a bigger impact on winning a championship. They're the ones that are actually put in the basketball and the hoop, but. You know, to Jerry Krause's credit, I think he gets a lot of crap in this documentary, especially in these first two episodes. You know, he, all the short jokes, all of the uh, crap about like, you know, how he's just trying to lose, to try to win a new draft pick, those kind of things. I really think that it's, um, it's really, he doesn't get enough credit, at least for putting the pieces together. Of course, you can't, no one can predict that Michael Jordan will be the best player of all time at this time. um, And it just, it's hard to say that he didn't have a huge impact in them winning six championships, at least the first three, you know, because he put two pieces together around Michael Jordan and made trades like, uh, one that's later, later mentioned in the second episode of trading, uh, Charles Oakley to, uh, for, sorry, uh, what's his name? Gosh, dang it. Bill Cartwright. Um, so, I think that I actually do side with uh, Jerry Krauss a little bit in this. I think that organizations that do have a huge impact on uh, players are teams winning championships. Like you can look at other sports and other really bad organizations. Like for example, the New York Knicks is a really good example of a team that has had good players. Christophe Sporzingis, uh, Carmelo Anthony, but have never been able to put pieces around those players to get them to win a championship, let alone even win a playoff game. Um, so it's, I think that there is some truth to his statement. I think it's kind of... uh, I guess uh, I'm not sure how I'd say this. I guess it's unfair for Michael Jordan to think that, you know, he was just trying to call him out individually. But again, I mean, there's probably more context going on behind the scenes between them two. And um, I'm sure that that quote probably came in uh, bad light. (laughs) So with that said, um, we kind of move forward with the rest of the episode. I'll kind of continue summarizing what happens. Um, So, of course, then... That I like. I mentioned the whole context. The whole point of the of the documentary is that this is the last dance. Uh, so we move forward, and now we we ch- kind of transition. You know, we know what, where we're at. We know what's happening. Now we transition to the f- one of the two timelines that happens through the entire documentary. Of the first timeline is, you know, the '97 season. The whole point we're here. The '97 '98 season. Their last dance. And then we also have another timeline that starts with Michael Jordan as a young kid. Um, And so that's where episode one transitions back at this point, goes back to, you know, how he was as a kid, his family life, you know, and then his time at North Carolina and those kind of things. Uh, And so it was kind of interesting. I, I thought that was pretty cool to see. Uh, some things that maybe you probably, I, I assume haven't been seen. I haven't seen them before. Um, just let everyone know. Let everyone know. I'm only 25 years old, so I was born in 1994. So I wasn't even, you know, I got to see. I say I got to see. I was alive for four years of Michael Jordan playing basketball for the Bulls. I don't remember any of that stuff. I didn't know anything at the time. I, I, I'm of course, you know, as I got a little bit older, I uh, understood the greatness of Michael Jordan, but you know, I, I didn't get to see it. Um, so with that said. I I think it was really cool to see all these things that they're showing, especially of him uh, in college and in high school. That I'm sure that they probably exist other places, but you know, all in one place, it was very cool to see. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was very funny though was his mom. I think his mom, Dolores Jordan, has to be one of the MVPs of this entire uh, docu series so far. But one of the things that was really funny to me <laughs> when I watched it. And then when I also recently rewatched it was her quote that she said, like she was talking, like uh, she was reading back a letter that Michael Jordan wrote to him while he was in college, while he was out in North Carolina. And one of the quotes she says, like I think Michael Jordan asks her to send her some stamps to send him some stamps, like send him some money for a phone bill and some $20 cash. And then also, mom i also need some stamps and then she says is that not a college student please send me some stamps and I just thought that was so funny because like i guess it just explains the time difference at the time because that was in 1984 you know so that she's saying that's just like a classic college student asked me to send some stamps like but this is being recorded in like 20 like her interview is being recorded in 2018 it's like I just want to say to Dolores Jordan, no, that's not a college student. No college student in 2018 wants stamps to be sent. (laughs) But again, I mean, at the time, whenever she was like going through it, like, yeah, that makes sense that, you know, I guess college students did like, if you're a college student back then, and you're listening to this, like, tell me, was getting sent stamps, uh, a common thing from your mom while you were in college? Like, I feel like that is, she says, isn't, isn't that a college student? Please send me some stamps. It's like, I feel like that's not actually what a college student would say. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong, but regardless, uh, I thought that was kind of (laughs) interesting. I thought that was really funny. And so we kind of move forward a little bit, and we get to see uh, Michael Jordan get drafted. And so he, of course, it shows that, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon was the first overall draft pick, and he was the first overall draft pick for any general manager, including the Bulls. And then move forward to Portland. Uh, They're the second overall draft pick. And then they mention that they're – they already have Clyde Drexler as their shooting guard, small forward, and so they don't really need Michael Jordan. They are they already have at the time what they think is like they're their, it's their franchise player. And of course, no no disrespect to Clyde Drexler necessarily, but you know they they thought that Michael Jordan was just coming into you know where would they put him because they already have Clyde Drexler, and so they end up passing on him, drafting Sam Bowie, and then of course then that leaves Michael Jordan to go to the Bulls at third. And I thought this was very interesting because uh, there had been. I say there's not been plenty of examples necessarily, but there is, it's very surprising that a team just less than 20 years ago would make the decision. I say less than, I guess it was holy crap. I don't even know what it's 2020. This was 1984. (laughs) So 36 years ago, much more than 20 years ago, uh, how much the league and just mindsets have changed because they said that they didn't want to draft Michael Jordan because they already had their stars, uh, small forward, shooting guard, whatever. And now, fast forward to now, and every team almost exclusively drafts the best player that's available. And I think that that's interesting that shows the big shift in terms of the positions in the NBA. Uh, if you if you watch the NBA, if you follow the NBA, then you know that there isn't really like a, you know, a very solid, like, concrete position player that only plays that position. Um, like, for example, like the center position. You know, there isn't really like there's not a Shaquille O'Neal in the NBA right now. There's no, uh, they only play center. They only stay in the post. They just get rebounds. They just finish at the rim. Those kind of things like that. That's not that that player doesn't exist right now. Um, and so it's interesting how that's changed because back in that day, like there was like, you know, you had a point guard, you had a shooting guard, you had small forward, power forward. Um, there wasn't as much flexibility in positions as there is now. And so now you have teams like the Warriors, who you had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, uh, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant, um, and geez, uh, Demarcus Cousins, and all five of those players could easily play like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are pretty much you know stuck at the guard positions, but Boogie Cousins, Kevin Durant, uh, and Andre Iguodala could all play any of the three, four, or five positions real- realistically because. That's just the flexibility of the NBA these days. You know, teams and GMs have decided that it's more important to have bigs that can shoot in threes, can shoot mid-range shots. Whereas back in the day, it was like you just had a big dude down at the rim that was just going to finish every single time um, and also could bully the other teams big. And it's just interesting how that changed because I feel like if Michael Jordan was being drafted today, you know, he would be... I don't think Portland would make that the, same, the same decision. They would just say, okay, we're just going to have Clyde Drexler and... Uh, Michael Jordan on the, on the floor at the same time, that's totally fine. Like, you can look at other teams that have done similar things, uh, like Chris Paul and uh, James Harden. You know, like, they both are really good point guards. Uh, you know, of course, James Harden is primarily a shooting guard, but James Harden absolutely dribbles, dribbles the ball down the court and is a distributor, you know, it's It's not like uh, he's exclusively a shooting guard. You know, he can play either role. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if James Harden and Chris Paul were not in the same team, and then they're like, hey, well, we can't have – we don't want Chris Paul because we don't want to have to deal with having two point guards. Like, that wouldn't happen in today's NBA because they know that the value of having two star players on the same team. And, of course, you you can't fault Portland because you can't expect – (laughs) that you're passing up on the best player of all time necessarily. But it is interesting to see how the mindset mindset has shifted because, you know, today's NBA, like I said, they would go after the best available player, regardless if they if they already had a position player that was, you know, in the same position. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and so as we kind of move forward, uh, on the, the rest of the documentary, uh, at least episode one. (laughs) So it shows, uh, they talked about Michael Jordan's rookie year with the bulls and one thing that kind of the context, uh, that was brought up by the reporter, I guess the interviewer, sorry, the documentary, um, he says that the bulls were known as the bulls traveling cocaine circus. <laughs> of course, then if you watch the documentary, you don't know talk about like Michael Jordan, like literally starts like laughing, like super hard because I guess he hadn't heard, uh, this article before, and that was new, uh, really funny to him. And he, so he says, "Is that accurate?" And Michael Jordan says, "Uh, people were doing stuff I didn't see." <laughs> I thought this was so funny to me because he asks him if it's if the Bulls were no like if he knew or what he thought of the Bulls being called the Bulls Traveling Cocaine Service or Circus. Sorry, and he laughs really, really hard. And then he says, was it accurate? And then he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, okay, okay, MJ. Like, <laughs> why did you laugh so hard? This guy is saying that you're called the Bulls Traveling Cocaine service Circus if you didn't know, you know, if you didn't see anything. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, maybe this is probably early on in their interviewing and he just didn't want to be like, uh, <laughs> didn't want to give too much away, didn't want to throw anyone on the bus. But it's like you can't laugh super hard at that kind of a quote and then say that you didn't know what he's talking about because <laughs> why would it be funny, right? Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, so, and then of course the rest of the episode is talking about uh, or it kind of shows Michael Jordan's uh, greatness being translated to the NBA um, and all these players being notified of the draft pick and they're all saying like Mark Eaton was like well, he's not seven foot, so it's going to be hard for him to carry a team. And I'm sure Mark Eaton watches his back and thinks, like, oh, god dang it. Like, But can you really blame Mark Eaton, though, at this point? You know, because who can expect a player like MJ like to come out of college and then just immediately start carrying a team? And so I, I can't – I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really blame those players for being skeptical. I think that that would happen for any player today. And so – you got to give those guys a break and so uh the rest of the episode uh (laughs) well actually one one thing though real quick (laughs) i thought it was funny during that little little segment where they're talking about his transition to the nba one of the interviewers before game was like uh so mj uh how do you think your transition from college the nba has been he said well it's been pretty easy so far (laughs) i thought holy crap this guy's been playing for like You know, probably at this point, like, three or four months in the NBA, and he's just, like, freaking duking on all the other players, like, yeah, it's been pretty easy. Uh, And I I wonder if he meant, like, it'd been easy in terms of the games you're playing, or it meant easy, like, the competition, or it's just, like, he, you know, hey, the practice is the same length, like, the coaches are pretty cool. Like, I'm curious what exactly he meant. But I really think it's MJ, and like he's never been really like wanted to known to be like a nice uh, to his counterparts, and so <laughs> I can only assume he was just trashing the other guys in the NBA. And then the episode one ends like so cool; uh, it just immediately like hooks you in for the next episode um, with the Bulls. Flash forward back to the 97-98 season; uh, they're opening, about to get started, and uh, with. <laughs> The Bulls warm up song, which the Chicago Bulls warm up song has to be like one of the best warm up songs or like most hype songs in general. Like anytime my game, my friends and I are playing games, like I always want to play that and just like get us in the get us in the mode. Like uh, it just gets me going. And so it starts off with like yo ninety five Bulls. Like that guy has the best voice. It's so good. I I just remember watching that like and then rewatching it just a second ago. Like just getting so hyped, literally getting chills from that song. So, um that's all that I had for episode one. Really, really good. I, I really enjoyed episode one. Uh, I think that uh, after watching some other episodes, like admittedly it is probably one of the weaker episodes, but uh, definitely a good context builder. Like, you know, it kind of gives you an idea as to why you're watching the documentary. And so of course, then episode two comes, uh, comes with it. And now we have uh, kind of, it's, this episode is mostly focused on Scotty Pippen, um, you know, Michael Jordan's counterpart. And so it's, it kind of starts off with Scottie, uh getting hurt and then showing, you know, his transition into getting back in the NBA. And then so it shows uh, one of the first things it shows is like this little graphic on the screen that shows like he's first in the Bulls and assists, first in the Bulls or second in the Bulls and scoring, second in rebounds, second in this, all these different stats. But then he's like top, he's like sixth player on the Bulls in salary and then 122nd uh, in the NBA in salary. And so it kind of sets the scene like, okay, this guy is one of the best players on the best teams in the NBA or one of the best players on the best team in the NBA at the time um and he's not even paid like he's a starting player on the team like he's the sixth highest player on the team so he's not even on the starting five of players that are getting paid and so at this point in the episode we kind of flash back a little bit and get to see a little bit of scotty pippen's history where he grew up where he went to high school where he went to college he went to university of central arkansas and honestly resembled a lot in my opinion to uh what's his name uh steve urkel <laughs> he was kind of short skinny not very athletic looking uh, and then all of a sudden, he just decided to grow. Apparently, because it was kind of funny. He, <laughs> like the coach was like, "Yeah, uh, he uh, wasn't very, uh, wasn't very good necessarily." And then the next year, he came back and he was six five. And then then he was a really good ball player. it's like, oh, okay, it's, it's all you have to do to be good at basketball is just be, uh, you know, it's just grow five inches over a summer, and that's all you need to do. So, um, and then of course, then we kind of get to see, kind of fast forward a little bit. Uh, we see him getting drafted, uh, and then <laughs> – so he gets drafted to the Portland Trails uh, – no, the Supersonics, sorry, the Seattle Supersonics, and then immediately traded to the Bulls. Uh, I thought what was funny is that he, they called him, they said, and to the Seattle Supersonics, Scott Pippen. And I just am curious, let me know, uh, send me an email at johnrakeescast at com. Do you think that Scott Pippen is a better player than Scotty Pippen? You know <laughs> – because uh, obviously the rest of his career is known as Scotty, but uh, they called him Scott. And I just wonder if uh, if instead you put just take the whole career and everything the same, and then it's just Scott Pippen, the same career, same stats, same championships, everything, but Scott Pippen versus Scotty Pippen, who's the better player? Let me know. Uh, send me an email. I'm curious what you guys think. Um, and then so, of course, it kind of moves forward a little bit, and we get to see the deal that he signs, and he signs a seven-year 18 million dollar deal and that, that blew my mind like because players these days are signing 40 50 50 million dollar deals per year you know like, like Kevin Durant I think he signed like a 300 million dollar deal for like five years or something four or five years of course the league has significantly grown revenues those kind of things uh the, the league has kind of blown up over the last 20 years but it is just really surprising to see that a the second best player in the league. Of course, he wasn't at that time, you know, but he was a really upcoming star. He signed a seven-year, $18 million deal. And, you know, he defends himself and just says that, you know, at the time I just wanted to make sure I was, you know, I was secure. I wanted to make sure that I didn't have to worry about injuries. You know, I was I was totally fine with taking that, you know, lesser pay just to make sure that I was secure over that time. And then, like, one of the, one of the analysts at the time was like, you know he could have got eight, nine times more money for you know if he just negotiated better, and then now we get to where this episode kind of takes uh takes a real turn and where Scotty decides to hold out because I say he doesn't have to decide to hold out, but he does decide to get a uh, ankle surgery because he doesn't want to compromise his summer because he doesn't feel like he's being valued, and he is essentially he's been trying to go at this point in time to Jerry Krause and to. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Reinsdorf. Uh, he wanted to go to them and try to renegotiate renegotiate his contract, but they're like, "You signed the deal, man. It's your deal. We're pay- We're staying to the deal that you signed." And it sucks. I, I, I with this deal in mind, seven years, eighteen million dollars. I, I can't be in, uh, Scotty Pippen's shoes and not be upset. But at the same time though, you also can't really be upset if you're in the shoes either, because you made that choice. So, you know, you decided to sign a deal that was way undervalued. But it's tricky, man. It's it's uh, kind of one of those things about like, you know, having a twenty-twenty hindsight because you can't you don't know the league's gonna blow up. You don't know that you're not going to get hurt in five games and then you're immediately your career's over. So it's tricky. Uh, It sucks. You know, of course in this situation, this university plays for seven years, you know, straight up and gets his entire contract value. And then of course the bulls get an absolute steal on one of of the best players in the league through that seven year contract, but you, you never really know. And, that's the that's what he signed for and you know that's the reason that so many analysts at the time were saying that he could have got more money and that even Reinsdorf himself at one point in time during the documentary says like I wouldn't sign it if I were you I think you're undervaluing yourself and then he still made the choice to sign the deal and so I, I mean I it's hard to be empathetic with uh Scotty Pippen because he did regret signing an $18 million dollar deal but at the time it's like he had the choice and I'm actually curious too uh, send me another email too. What do you guys think – I really want to be in a position in my life at some point in time where I can regret signing for an $18 million deal on anything. Like, I, If I can look back like 10 years ago and think, man, I should not have signed the $18 million deal, I, I can't – I am uh, – of course, you know, we're in different positions, you know, but it's like I wish I could regret having $18 million <laughs> because the guy, I mean, he is – uh, you know, at, at the time, probably one of the richest people in the... I say that in the NBA, but, you know, he's the top 1% of the world in terms of wealth. And, you know, it sucks. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he should not have got his money. Uh, it sucks because of the way it happened, but, like, $18 million is a lot of money. I mean, you're going to be... You got to buy his uh mom a house. He's sending his parents money all the time, yada, yada. And so, he, I, I say all that. It does suck. It does suck that he uh got... So ripped off throughout his career, but of course, then he ends up signing a bigger, bigger contract. And actually, he—I learned after the documentary that he, Scottie Pippen, made more money in the NBA than Michael Jordan even did. Of course, that's not even close to the, the endorsements and the Nike deal that MJ had. But actually, playing as a player, Scottie Pippen made more money in his career, even with that terrible deal through the seven years, than Michael Jordan did. So that's pretty interesting to see. You know, that he still ended up making his money. Um, and so, of course, now we—the second episode. And kind of shifts back and goes to more about the the first timeline, where is Michael Jordan's upbringing, you know, where he started, and, um, and it's kind of interesting. They they said a couple things that one that Larry Jordan said at the time, you know, he did an interview that he was the better player at the time. Even his dad said he was the better player at the time, um, and he actually was the better competitor in general. Like he hated losing more than anybody. Um, and so that was it pretty interesting of course there's always a good origin story for any like superhero or supervillain and kind of like mj is in this story (laughs) uh i say this story it's real life and that actually kind of makes me think too this entire documentary uh up to this point even uh even up to episode eight where they're at now it it really feels like fiction uh and uh, the, the the quote you know that everyone knows that truth is stranger than fiction Uh, it it is very crazy that so many of these things actually happened in real life. Like, you know, I, I think Michael Jordan, (laughs) I'm not a Michael Jordan fanboy by any means, but like in a lot of ways, like he is kind of a superhero. (laughs) Like he had like a, a really traumatic father that, you know, kind of pushed him to be better than he could ever think to be. And his brother was better than him. And Michael Jordan just wanted to have, seek the approval of his father. That's like one of the quotes that he says in the documentary. You know, he just wanted to have that approval, that validation, and he couldn't get it from his father. And so then, then he decided to win six championships to spite him. It <laughs> sounds like a superhero's plot line to me, honestly. But um, And, of course, uh, one thing that I thought was crazy, it's similar to Scottie Pippen. You know, he goes to high school. He doesn't make the team. He comes home crying to his mom. His mom's like, "Well, if you want it, you got to do better. You got to be better. You got to want it more." And then over the summer, you know, he can't he doesn't put put down a basketball. He's practicing he's getting really good yada yada and then he comes back to this next year his sophomore year or i guess his junior year sorry yeah because he didn't he didn't make the team on his sophomore year but he did make the team at a, his varsity team at his high school his junior year and when his coaches were like yeah he didn't really have a lot going on from his sophomore year but then he came back uh he grew six inches and he you know his ball skills improved and again it's just like the moral of the story, kids, is if you want to be a good basketball player, just grow six inches in three months. That's it. That's all you have to do. That's a secret. Just grow six inches and then you'll be a better basketball player. I think that's so hilarious because, like, that's, but the common denominator between both Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan was just like, well, this happened, this happened. But the biggest thing was he really grew. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay. Uh, I guess that's, that's just the way it is in the NBA. You can't be like five, eight and be a good player, you know, at least most of the time but I just, it's just, that was funny to me. Um, So, and then of course he ends up hitting or hurting his ankle, excuse me, uh, in the, at the end of the first season or sorry, I guess it was the second season. Sorry. I'm not sure exactly when it was, but he ends up hurting his ankle. um, And yeah, it was actually, it was the second season because he, you know, rookie of the year hurts his ankle. And so he's out for 62 games. And during that sixty-two game stretch, she says like, "Hey, let me go back to North Carolina and let me work out with my old team and you know kind of get uh, back in shape th- there." And they said, "Yeah, that's fine, no worries, whatever. Just just be careful." And so he goes there and he does the exact opposite. He plays in one v ones, two v twos, three v threes, all the above, and just kind of goes against all the everything the Bulls said without them knowing. And then he comes back to the Bulls after this this time period of recovery, and he. You know his hurt calf and his hurt ankle are actually stronger than his healthy calf and his healthy ankle, and so Jerry Krause is like, "Hey, uh, what have you been doing all summer?" Uh, and he's like, "Oh, just uh, nothing." <laughs> and he's like, "Just kidding. No, I've been uh, I've been playing a lot. I've been playing five v 5s And they're like, "Oh my God, what an what a freaking bozo!" Like you know, Jerry Krause had his heart dropped uh, whenever he heard about that, and uh, so. And then we get to one of the really important kind of like, I guess it shows Michael Jordan's determination as a player that he just wanted to win no matter what, um, and also improve or increase the wedge, kind of deepened that gap between Jerry Krause, Reinsdorf, and then Michael Jordan was whenever they decided to limit his playing time to only 14 minutes per game no matter what. Actually, seven minutes per half specifically. And then it got to the point where... You know they were in the playoff hunt. They you know had the chance in his second season to make the playoffs, and there was 14 seconds left in the game. They were down by two, or I guess down by one actually. Excuse me. And Michael Jordan already had a seven minutes up. You know there was 14 seconds left in the game, and the coach Stan Albeck was like. I can't play you, MJ. I can't. I mean, I'm not going to lose my job. I'm, I'm going to lose my job if I play you. I'm sorry. I can't do it. And so MJ is like, obviously super frustrated because he's like, this is our chance. We can make the playoffs. You just got to win this game. Like, You just put me in 14 seconds. Who cares? It's not a big deal. Long story short, uh, MJ is, does sit. John Paxson hits a, uh, a jumper to win the game, and then they go to the playoffs. And I thought that was just so crazy because – obviously Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf are being pretty much kind of dragged through the mud in this entire docuseries, but that I don't feel like that would ever happen in today's NBA where you have a, a general manager who is so stubborn to not allow, you know, your star player 14 more seconds on the court to try to go to the playoffs. And of course, from MJ's perspective, he's thinking that they're just trying to lose games to get a better draft pick. But, I mean, there's there's back and forth about it. You know, uh, one of the things they mentioned, like uh, Reinsdorf says, that there is a 90% chance that nothing happens, no re injury happens, uh, and there's a 10% chance that there is re re-entry. In that 10% chance, if he does end up re injuring himself, then that could mean his career is over. And so Reinsdorf is thinking of this as from a business perspective, like, this is my franchise probably you know one of the biggest money making tools at that time and he's thinking you know in that point in time it could be the most money that our franchise can make over the last 20 years like I want my investment to pay off and so he's thinking if there's a 10% chance that Rangery ends up in destroying my franchise let's not do it and MJ is thinking it's a 10% chance like that's that's not very much like I, he was thinking like I think he says like the glass is half full but I, I don't know I go back and forth on this because one of the things <laughs> he says is that uh Reinsdorf uses the analogy of the pills He says that if you had nine pills and then nine of them would cure you of your disease and one of them would kill you you know would you take would you just take one of the pills and just risk it uh if you if you had a headache essentially if you're trying to cure your headache and nine of them would make the headache go away, one of them kills you would you take one of the pills and then m j responds and he's like, depends on how bad the headache is." <laughs> That's just so again, it encapsulates like MJ's drive and willingness to win regardless because he He didn't care about the chance of ending his career. He just wanted to win right there. He wanted to win in that moment, he wanted to win that game. It didn't matter if he ended up just destroying his ankle and have a hard time walking, he never play basketball again. He just cared about winning right there. And that is a mindset that I do not have i hope i have eventually but i mean maybe that's why i'm a loser and why i'm doing this podcast rather than like one of the best players in the nba of all time (laughs) maybe some other reasons i'm white i'm not 6'5 whatever but (laughs) but the point is, is that it that shows that mj's drive and his willingness to win at all costs and he didn't really care and um one real thing one real quick thing too that i thought that was funny about this whole I guess the Bulls making the playoffs was they were 30 wins and 52 losses and they made the playoffs. I, I need to go back and look. I, if someone can correct me from that has to be like one of the worst playoff teams in recent history. Like I can't, I I don't know. I <laughs> I watch basketball a lot. I love the NBA and I can't remember a team that has been that bad in terms of 30 wins to 52 losses and still made the playoffs. But hey, what whatever uh, that I was just shocked to see that record. Like they were a, a bad team that just squeaked into the playoffs, and then they get to play against the the Larry Bird Celtics in the first round. And holy crap, I I have never seen uh, these games before. Uh, I've watched a bit of Michael Jordan games in the past, but uh, I have never seen this one. Uh, the game two against the Celtics in their first playoff series. And he scored 63 points. Like, holy crap. I mean, this is his sophomore year in the NBA, his second year. Um, And he just absolutely demolishes the Celtics. I mean, they still aren't losing the game. It was 135-133 Celtics win. But 63 points. So he almost scored half of the team's points. And, you know, of course, they weren't able to take take down the victory. But I, I... I was so shocked when I first watched this. Uh, The first time I watched this has been like, you know, three or four weeks ago. Uh, I I didn't know that MJ was dominant from the second he walked into the NBA, you know, that he was just like, he was a game changer every time he was on the floor from the beginning. Like I knew of course that he was the best player of all time, like going forward, but Holy crap. I, I was so shocked to see that against, you know, Bill Walton, Larry Bird, Danny Ainge, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, one of the best teams of all time and he still was able to score 63 points in a playoff game you know again and he didn't end up making the final or you didn't end up winning the game necessarily but that was very impressive to me um so that was really cool and then uh the episode flashes forward uh we go back up to where reinsdorf was considering or sorry jerry Krause was considering trading scotty pippen because you know it's like we need to do what's best for our team regardless. And every team, you know every player is an asset and I have the du- I have a duty to put the team in the best position to win regardless. And so Scott Higgins is a great player. we love him, but you know we need to do what's best for our team. And moreover, he's thinking too, this is the last year of Scotty's contract. This, the last dance year, this is the last year of his contract, you know, so what's the point of keeping him around whenever, after this contract's over, he's probably going to sign somewhere else. We might as well try to get some assets out of him right now while we still have him under contract. And so, you know, there's rumors of him trying to get traded or him trying to trade Scotty Kippen, sorry. And so it shows Reinsdorf and he's thinking, he says that he killed the trade because as long as MJ was there, they were going to go for six championships. And I thought that was interesting because there has been some talk outside of this docuseries that Jerry Cross is getting too much crap and Reinsdorf isn't getting enough crap um, for his, uh, you know, for his part in the the last dance, you know, breaking up the bulls. And I think that quote, really speaks a lot to me uh the fact that Reinsdorf was the one that kind of stopped Scottie Pippen from getting traded that year who knows who knows if it would have happened or not necessarily but at least from the outside looking in just from this documentary's perspective it does seem like Reinsdorf was the more objective version of you know objective view of trying to keep the team together not necessarily keep the team together but he didn't really he wasn't trying to break up the team just for his own ego necessarily whereas of course the perception of the docuseries is at least that Jerry Krause was, had a too big of an ego and didn't want his ego to be uh, tarnished by MJ, Scottie Pippen, and Phil Jackson whenever he felt he had a big role in that. And Jerry Reinsdorf saying that he broke up a trade he killed a trade with Scott Hippen like this six championship would, doesn't happen without Scott Hippen realistically and so this documentary probably falls apart as well or maybe it's looks different you know of course but, you know they don't win six championships if it if Scott Hippen isn't on the team and so there's a lot of credit you can say to uh, Reinsdorf for breaking up that trade you know whatever that trade is but it is pretty interesting to see that there is like you know he did that you know Again, who knows what would have happened if he didn't do that? But regardless, it, it is pretty interesting to see that. Um, and then the episode ends with Scotty Pippen berating it's Jerry Krause on the bus, and then finally demanding a trade. He says he's not—he's never playing in a Bulls uniform ever again. He's done with the team. Yada yada. And then the episode ends and that's the end of the second episode and kind of leaves you on that cliffhanger as to, you know, what's going to happen. Scott Hippen is he going to play again, is he going to come back to the Bulls, is going to be traded, whatever. And so that was the end of the episode. And I thought the end of the first episode was a bit better than the second, but it was, you know, as a player who, or as a person who knows that Scott Pippen doesn't get traded, of course, it wasn't really a cliffhanger because I know what happens. Uh, And everyone that knows anything about the Bulls at that time knows what happened as well, but it was still a good ending to the episode. And uh, I I really enjoyed the first two episodes. Um, Like I said, the first two episodes were in retrospect, the worst of the two episodes, uh, the the worst of the current eight that have come out to this point. Um, But they were still good. They were still, I mean, they were important just to set the scene. You know, that there were context, you know, it's the, why we're here, what we're doing, what we're trying to learn, uh, why the documentary exists. So it's there, they have to be the worst ones, you know, because we're, there are people that don't know Michael Jordan. There are people that don't know, know Scotty Pippen. There are people that don't, don't know, uh, the Celtics of 87, 86, you know, that, that great team. And so, you have to have that context. And so it's, it's important to have that for everyone that wants to watch it, even if they don't know about sports or don't know about MJ or the bulls that time. So um, I really enjoyed these episodes a lot. Uh, I think it kind of gets you in the mood, kind of gets you going. And <laughs> I, I know after watching those two episodes, like if episodes three through 10 were released uh, at the same time, I probably would have sat there for another seven hours and watched all of the episodes or eight hours, whatever it is. And watched all the episodes in conjunction because I was so ready to see, you know, the rest of the stuff. Because there's so many things that I didn't even mention in this episode that so many things like hidden scenes and things that you don't, don't, uh, didn't get to see that we haven't seen before that were so cool to see. MJ being emotional about certain things and kind of talking about his passion to win, um, I was just so ready to see more of that and more of it, uh, more things that you hadn't seen before, like kind of see more Dennis Rodman getting to see like MJ's championship later on, like, you know, after his dad dies, like all these things that, you know, we've wanted to see for so long, but haven't been able to, like, I just knew they were coming. And so I was ready. I wanted to watch them right then. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's it. That's all I really have for these first two episodes. Uh, I, if you enjoyed these episodes, please let me know. I'll be recording more of these over the next couple of days, uh, trying to get caught up to where we're at currently. Like I said, in real time, uh, episode eight just came out on Sunday, a couple of days ago. So I think it, um, yeah, I've been, I enjoyed doing this. If you enjoyed listening to it, definitely let me know. Send me an email to genregeekscast at gmail.com. And then we will uh, see you next time. So bye.